Welcome to Hillside Baptist Church Podcast. We are a church that is committed to preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is our privilege to open God's word with you. It is our prayer that you receive the message from the man of God with an open heart. That through God's word, you are encouraged and equipped to face life's challenges. But most importantly, it is our prayer that you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior if you haven't already. If you'd like to connect with us, you can do so at hillsidebc.com, find us on Facebook, or send us an email at info at hillsidebc.com. We hope that you benefit from today's message and that you would share it with a friend. But let's now open our hearts and God's Word. Now join with me in John chapter 20. In your Bible, John chapter 20, as we look here, Back, this is part two of the message, the care of Christ. As we look here in this passage, we're going to break this up into three different sermons. So on the back of your bulletin there, you have a quick outline of what has, uh, of the full sermon, as pity for the aching. We preached, I preached that, shared with that with you on January 15th. You can go back and listen to that on our podcast. Uh, also, you can, uh, today we'll look at his peace for the anxious and then finally, uh, we will look at the principle for the agnostic. And so, uh, there's so much here as Christ resurrects uh, from the grave that He has to share with us. I'm glad that when Jesus rose from the grave, He wasn't done. Amen? He still wanted to pour into our lives. He still, even today, 2,000 years later, has a love and desire for every individual and every soul on this planet. You know, every 8 billion people are on this planet now. And God knows the names of every person. He knows the amount of hair on every head. And for some of you, He can count a lot quicker than the others. Amen? And let me just say, we have a God who knows and He cares about us, and we're thankful for Him. And today we're going to look here at part two of this message of the care of Christ in John chapter 20. And we're going to look at, uh, just in just a moment, we'll be starting in verse number, 20, uh, verse number 19. But if you were to open the headlines of the newspaper, not that many of us get the paper anymore, if we were to open the internet browser and look for news today about America, it would be easy to say America is a troubled nation. It'd be easy to say, listen, it is clear that there's something wrong in the heart of America. Scripture makes it clear that the issue is not with God, but with people. You see, God has never changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the unchanging God. The, the, the theologians say that God is immutable. That means He never changes. He is always the same. And so, who has changed? Who has shifted? Well, it wasn't God, it was us. And I remind you of His promise, because He loves, because He cares. I remind you, 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14 says, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Folks, I tell you, this is a very uh, wonderful promise from the Lord that He truly desires to heal. You see, God has demonstrated great care for His people all around the world, not just here in America, but people, the people of God in India and the people of God in Indonesia and the people of God in Japan and all over the world. Now, God loves His, uh, His, uh, the people uh, that have called upon His name. And listen, He even loves the sinner. You see, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. 
You see, God didn't love us just because we were lovely, because truly, if we look in the mirror, there's nothing lovely about me. And, and if I look in the mirror, I see my, my blemishes, and I see my failures, and I see my faults, and I see my sins, and I see that there's truly nothing worthy in me. But this is what I know, is that God loves me unconditionally. Isn't that good to think about? I mean, think about this, is that even though I am what I am, and even though God sees me as I am, He says, listen, John, I still love you. Man, what a wonderful blessing God's given us. You see, God has demonstrated His care for us from the very beginning. If you go all the way back to creation, He demonstrated love and love and care for us in that He even created us. Amen? But then there was, in the moment of the fall, when man chose to rebel against God, God walked beside him in the garden, and in that moment, He said, listen, let me provide you a covering. A beautiful picture of the covering that Jesus would provide on the cross. You see, God cares for us all along the way, but it wasn't just there. Later, He would send prophets, men of God, who would tell the truth and proclaim it to the land. There would be later, would be given the law of God uh, by Moses to instruct uh, on, on how to worship and, and, and uh, set up how that we can come before the, the throne of the Lord. You see, God really, though, the fulfillment of the law is God's greatest picture of, of love, and that's Jesus Christ. You see, God gave us the law, and when we look into the law and we see the Old Testament, and listen, we're not a church that we throw away the Old Testament. We still uh, appreciate all the things that God has laid there, and we see the fulfillment of that law in Jesus Christ. He was the Lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. See, He fulfilled what, was, what we couldn't when He died for us. You see, all of that is a picture of the care of God in our life. We see the coming Christ. And we see His one day coming. And many times as we sang, Brother Greg led us in a couple of verses in one day and as well as How Great Thou Art. And both of those songs, they point to the coming Christ. And we are anticipating that day. Amen? And we think, boy, won't it be wonderful there when all of the sorrows and care are cast to the side, but we see Him face to face. Man, we sing those songs. We love those songs about heaven. Uh, you know, and we think about the wonderful glories that will be. And we're reminded that even though we must endure hardships here, He's always good. And He still cares about us. You know, the manifestation of God's care is not just seen in those things, but sometimes we get a glimpse of it here on earth among each other. You know, when a, uh, someone stops on the side of the road to help you change a flat tire and they don't pull a gun on you and try to steal your wallet. That's always a demonstration of care, amen? But this, it was last week I heard of a story of a young boy from Aurora, Colorado. His name was Jude Kofi. This young boy was a 10-year-old, and, and him and his parents were home one day, and he wandered down in the basement of his parents' home, and there he found a little electronic keyboard, and he began to play the piano. Never had a lesson before in his life, and, and he began to play. Now, here's the other thing, is that he had a form of autism. But Jude found this piano, went down in that basement, and began to play the piano as if he'd played his entire life and had lessons his whole life. Well, his parents were so amazed and they were so dumbfounded by this wonderful gift that their son had received uh, that he took, they took video of it and they posted it on social media. The, the local news uh, uh, cast there in Aurora, Colorado heard of this and they went to the home and they, uh, they got video of uh, little Jude Kofi there playing piano as if he'd played his whole life. Truly uh, a gifted child. But the story doesn't end there. Here's the neat thing. Is that a local piano tuner saw this story on, uh, on, I almost said on the radio, that would have been a miracle, <laughs> on the television set, he saw it on TV, and he said, man, this is something I want to help. 
And so he took $15,000 of his own inheritance fund from his dad, and he bought this boy a piano. He went to his house, and they had it delivered, and he said, now listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come every month and tune this piano for you. Now, if you know anything about pianos, it costs over $100 a time for someone to come and tune a piano. And he said, I'm going to do this every month for free for you. And then if that was enough, he said, listen, I want to invest in your gift. And he hired a personal private tutor for this boy. I tell you, isn't that a beautiful story? And we look at that and we say, man, what a beautiful picture that the care of good, that God has for us was manifested on this world. You see, sometimes we look around us and we say, man, this world is just uh, going, uh, going to put. But I tell you, God is still on the throne, isn't He? I remind you of a couple of things from the Word of God, how that we see the care of God for us. In Romans chapter 5 and verse number 8, it says, But God commendeth His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And not when you were perfect, not when you finally became something worthy to look at, but no, when you were still a sinner, Christ chose to die for you. And then Romans chapter 5 and verse 10, two, two verses later, it says, For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled, uh, reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. When we were an enemy of God, He did this. Isn't that a beautiful thing? You see, God doesn't just say, listen, I'm gonna, I love you, and I love you, and I love you. No, God says, listen, I love every person in this world. And that's what Christ's sacrifice was sufficient, to pay for the sins of every person. You see, this awesome love and care of God is made available to everyone who will call upon the name of Christ for salvation. You see, there's no limit to the salvation that God's offered. Rather, God's offered this to every man everywhere. And as we come to John chapter 20, we see the resurrected Christ. And we see Him not in dead in a grave, no longer wrapped in those grave clothes, but alive and well. And He's already spoken with Mary. And now He comes to the, to the home of the apostles. And they're in the upper room where they had already met with Christ before at the Last Supper. They're here hiding, cowering in fear. And Christ comes in the midst of their situation and He speaks to them there. And I'm telling you, not only does He have pity for those aching hearts, but He brings peace to those who are full of anxiety and worry and fear. And so let's look in John chapter 20, and let's read together verses 19 through 23. And today, would you stand with me while we read this passage? John chapter 20, verses 19 through 23, and let's read these verses together. Then the same day came, uh, excuse me, then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. And then were the disciples glad, and when they, saw the, uh, when they saw the Lord, then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Uh, whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them, and whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. Let's stop and pray together. Father, we thank You for this incredible passage of Scripture that reveals to us that our God is not dead, but He's alive. But more than just the power over the grave, You've demonstrated, Lord, that same care and compassion that You showed on this earth, Lord, toward us even today. 
And so let us, Lord, find peace and, uh, in those times of uh, anxiousness and help us to find, Lord, that you are God who loves us even when things are difficult. So we praise you, we worship you, and today help our hearts to be turned toward you that we may know your care. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Would you please sit, uh, sit this morning? In this passage, we obviously go back to John chapter 20 and verse number 1, and we see immediately that this is the first day of the week. It's the very first day after Jesus was crucified, or excuse me, it's the third day after Christ was crucified. He had been laid in the grave, and now this is Sunday. This is the day after the Sabbath, and they've come to prepare and to continue to add spices to the body so that there's a sweet aroma there. And we saw Mary meet him, look for him in that empty tomb. But Jesus wasn't there. He met her later outside the tomb because He had risen from the dead. Well, now we find the disciples. They have uh, gathered once again out of fear behind locked doors. And here they are, anxious, afraid of what may happen to them. But I remind you that in the midst of this, He offers peace to the anxious heart. Just like He offered peace uh, or pity for the, those that are aching, He now offers peace for the anxious now, a couple of things I want to mention here as we think about this time and this setting in which this uh, Scripture is set. First off, remember, this is just a few days after Christ's crucifixion. And so it was a troubled time in Jerusalem. It was a city filled with crazy zealots uh, that were super religious and they desired to destroy any semblance of Christ. And so uh, these were looking for people to put them to death just as they did Jesus Christ. And so there was a tumult surrounding the death of Jesus and it seemed to be just uh, catapulted to brand new levels and would be even on this day when they found the tomb was empty. And so we find the disciples of Christ, like many of us would be, mind you, huddled and hiding together behind closed and locked doors. They said, listen, we're afraid to go outside. We're afraid that the same fate uh, that Christ suffered would be ours as well. And so there were ten disciples. Remember, remember Judas had hung himself. We'll learn later in this passage that Thomas wasn't there. So there's just ten disciples that were together. Maybe they were talking about uh, what had happened. Maybe they were discussing the events of the morning. I, we're, not told, we're not sure exactly what had happened except the fact that we knew that they assembled out of fear. They weren't there with the expectation that Jesus was going to come marching through the door. They weren't there at the grave looking for Jesus with Mary. Instead, they were there assembled out of fear. You ever notice fear will, uh, will drive you to do things you don't want to do? And this is the same problem that these disciples had. Just remember, just days before, Peter had told uh, Jesus, he said, though all, men, though all men reject you, I'll die with you. Same Peter would later deny Christ three times at the fire pits of, of Herod. The same Peter would go out in shame and pity and agony at the tormented soul that he had rejected Jesus. You see, because of fear. The obvious conclusion that they came to as they watched Christ crucified was, we're next. And so they hid. You know, some fear is normal, and that's probably good. You know, when there's a fire on a fire on a hearth, we had the Hollands at our house yesterday enjoying a little fellowship with them, and their little son Canaan is about two years old or so, and, and she was trying to teach him, said, don't go near the fire. Now, I like it about 112 degrees in my house. Can I get an Amen. And so I, I like it warm in the house, and so I, I toned it down a little bit for them. It was only 95, but uh, the child was there, and Canaan was there, and mom was trying to tell him, hot, 
hot. What should, what should she try to teach him? Don't touch that. That's going to be bad for you. You know, a little bit of fear is good. We think about uh, fear of getting up and speaking in front of people. Uh, you know, and, and every Sunday I get the privilege of preaching the Word of God. And, and, you know, I'm afraid of you people. And so what do I do? I spend hours preparing to open my mouth and talk. Because I don't want to get anything wrong uh, according to the Word of God. I want to be able to preach truth. Amen? And so we, we look at this, and so a little bit of fear is good. You know, when you're attacked, you have a couple of responses, and, and typically that fear drives you to fight or to flee, and that's a good thing, right? You just want to stand there like a punching bag. But this is not the kind of fear that gripped the hearts of the disciples. Instead, it was a spirit of fear. Now let me talk to you very quickly about this, because 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. And so this is a little different than being afraid of a hot fireplace or being afraid of speaking in front of people. That's a little bit different. You want to be prepared for those things. But this spirit of fear comes, not from, uh, uh, comes from not uh, being able to put our trust completely in God. You see, we're, when we're in a right relationship with God, there's no need for fear. Because God has given us His Spirit. And His Spirit is not the spirit of fear, according to what we just read in the Bible. And so some have estimated that the Bible says, fear not, in, in uh, various different ways, 365 times in the Bible. Notice, how many days are in our calendar? 365. God says every day, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. What a reminder that, listen, we don't have to give in to fear. You see, Christ offered peace both times He met with them. This was a, though this was a troubled time, He knew that His presence would bring, bring peace, and it's so essential that we draw near to the Lord. So how do you know? Here's the question. How do I know if I, Pastor, have given in to the spirit of fear? We're going to talk about five different ways that sometimes that may indicate you've fallen into this spirit of fear. The first one is when you feel unloved by God. Sometimes we go through these, these ideas that, man, God doesn't love me. Uh, you know, He doesn't care for me. Or maybe you're questioning His love for you. And this is likely seated in a fearfulness or unwillingness to trust in God's goodness and His faithfulness. You see, the enemy would like nothing better than for us to hide from God, believing He doesn't love us. But let me remind you what the Bible says in 1 John 4, 18. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. You know what the Bible is teaching us? He says, listen, when I understand the love of God, that there is no fear of God rejecting me. When I understand that, that God stretched out His arms and He said, listen, it, the, the debt has been paid in full because I love you, there's no fear there. I don't have to worry about Him rejecting when we're feeling unloved by God, instead of hiding from Him, we must run to Him. Instead of running away from Him, we must cling even more tightly. Oftentimes when our children were little and there was times when we had to enact some disciplinary measures because they had had a harder rebellion, and so we wanted to make sure that, that they would still uh, obey the Lord and obey the Word of God. And so we would bring, bring them into the bedroom. We would walk through some things. And then uh, we would administer some, some loving discipline in those moments. And as we did so, I remember just as soon as it, the discipline was over, their instinct was to wrap me up with all their might. Why? Because perfect love casts out fear. They weren't afraid of me. Instead, they were clinging tightly because they loved me. And they felt safe there. You see, that's the same thing that God does for us. 
It's the same thing that the Lord does. And oftentimes, He brings us through those times of discipline. And the temptation then from Satan is to run away. But instead, just like that child clings to that father and says, Lord, or Father, I love you, we can do the same with the Lord. May our instinct be, Lord, I love you above everything else. I'm going to cling tightly to you. I'm going to rest in you. This is what the psalmist said in Psalm 32, 7. Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou compass me about with songs of deliverance, Selah. Why? Because he found that God was the place where he could find peace. God was the place where he could find that assurance. God was everything he needed. Sometimes it can be difficult to believe that God loves us especially if things aren't going the way we think they should. Maybe when life gets hard. And it's at times like these, uh, it, it, would, it can feel scary to trust that God does love us or that God does have a bigger plan than what we can see. But remember, even Jeremiah wrote that feelings can deceive us. Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse number 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You know what Jeremiah was saying? Listen, don't trust your feelings, trust the Lord. Listen, that feelings are oftentimes going to lead me astray, and oftentimes feelings are going to lead me away from what is right. But when I come back to the Word of God, and I see what God has written, and I find that God is faithful, God is the one that will never abandon me, He is the one that abides with me forever, then listen, I don't have to be afraid. You see, following the path of emotions can be volatile, can't it? And oftentimes disastrous. You know, and, and for some they have, uh, my dad and I, we often talk about this as we look at kids and grandkids and, and we talk about the pendulum on a clock. And I love, how many of you love clocks? I, I have a clock in our, our uh, living room uh, and it's, uh, it's just a wind-up clock and I appreciate Brother Jim helping me get that thing going. And I bought it, you know, and, and it was used and it wasn't working and it smelled terrible, but man, we got that thing running, amen? And boy, that, I love to sit in the early morning hours and hear that go click, 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 click. Man, is there something peaceful about the clicking of a, of, a, of a clock? But that pendulum swings back and forth. And one of the things I struggle with is trying to get it to keep time. It's got a little nut on the bottom of a pendulum, and you, you screw it in to make it go a little faster, and you loosen it to make it a little, go a little slower. And so finding that magical spot where it keeps time perfectly eludes me. But there's something about that pendulum that captivates me. You see, because as far as it goes one direction, it goes the same direction the other. You know, so, so when emotions can be the same way, can't they? And man, if I've got these real big highs, I'm going to have these real big lows. But you see, when I, when I follow those emotions, then life is never stable. And I'm swinging from this thing to the other thing, from this thing to the other thing. But when I'm following the Lord, I say, God, I'm going to trust in your word, then I know His truth. That He loves me, He'll never abandon me, that He is my friend to the end. I can trust in these things. Folks, let me just share with you. If you're following some of those emotional uh, roller coasters, let me just encourage you to come back to the Word of God. Say, Lord, let you be my peace. Let you be my center point in everything. You see, the opposite of fear is faith. When we trust in the Lord and we're, we're resting in Him Fear dissipates. The second thing we see that not only is it uh, something uh, if we feel unloved by God, but sometimes if we avoid the Bible, the church, or prayer, we have given in to a spirit of, of fear. When a person is in danger, they have three responses. It's fight, flight, or freeze. Oftentimes that's what happens. 
And so this can even prompt us to flee the very things that will help. And we've seen people uh, on many, uh, many films uh, where the rescuers dive down into the water, Coast Guard goes uh, to rescue someone who is drowning, and as they jump in the water, uh, uh, the person who is drowning begins to attack their rescuer. Listen, because it's one of those natural responses that fear promotes in our life. And so if we find our place, uh, ourselves in a place where we don't want to go to church, or we don't want to read our Bible, we don't want to pray, it's usually tied be- to something that I'm worried or concerned or fearful about. Instead of bringing our problems to the Lord and, and saying, Lord, I'm just going to lay them on the altar. God, these are your problems. Lord, these are, this is your life. I've given it to you, and I know you're going to work it out. Instead of uh, trying to let Him worry with all those things, I try to carry those things. And, and instead of being able to go to the Word of God, oftentimes I flee the very things that will help me. Remember, and this is very important, God is the only one who can truly help you. And this is what he said in those moments where you feel like, man, I want to run, or maybe I just, I'm going to try to figure this out on my, on my own. Jesus said this in Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, Come unto me. Isn't that good? If we just stop right there, we're going to have an invitation. And she, you see, Jesus said, listen, come unto me. Now, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, when we give into feeling, uh, into uh, fleeing from the things of God, we are giving into the spirit of fear. This brings added burdens and problems in our life, especially if you're, you, we can be sporadic in church attendance, we can be negligent in our Bible reading. And, and, and I ask you, in those moments, what, are, what fear have you given yourself over to? Is it being disappointed by God? Is it being hurt by others? Maybe being afraid to confront things that you know you need to confront. Listen, I just urge you to trust the Lord, to come back to those things that will help you, and instead of fleeing, instead cling tightly to the one that loves you dearly. Thirdly, we see the thing that can also create a spirit of fear is difficulty in engaging in relationships. You ever had someone that hurts you? I think we all have. There's been times where someone's let me down or someone's disappointed me. I, there's been times where, where or someone has said something and, and it can be very, very much like a dagger going into the heart and it brings uh, great heartache to you. And so as a result, oftentimes we build up barriers and walls and we say, listen, you can't come in. And so we're fear, afraid of being rejected. We're afraid of being hurt. We're afraid of being responsible for someone else. We're afraid of being, uh, having to give up something for someone else. We're afraid of uh, being de- uh, dependent upon someone else. Let me remind you what the second greatest commandment is. Remember, the first greatest is to love the Lord thy God. And the second, he said this in Mark 12, 31. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself for there is none other commandment greater than these. You see, the problem is, is that when, when we uh, give in to, uh, to not engaging in relationships, and in the church family especially, this, this family is so important. Man, being able to engage with one another, being able to have a, a relationship with each other, to walk through valleys together, to be able to say, listen, God is faithful even in all of these things, to pray together. Listen, without each other, I tell you, life would be very, very difficult. And God says, listen, in this journey together, God wants us to develop relationships that will help strengthen one another. And the Bible says in Proverbs, He says, uh, that iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. 
You know, that's what the church body does. That's why it's so important we're here together to worship together, to pray with one another, to encourage one another. This morning, right before church, my son, something was eaten at my son, and I sat down with him, and, and we sat in the chair together. And as we sat there, uh, he shared with me what was bothering him, and I, we just talked about what the God's Word said. And then I said, well, let me pray with you this morning before, before anything happens, and let me just pray that God helps you make a right decision through that. You know, that happens in my personal family, but it happens in our church family. I can't tell you how many times I've seen people in the, in the vestibule or here in the congregation, in the, in, here in the sanctuary right after church and people with bowed heads praying together over a burden in their life. What a joy that we can come here and be encouraged. You see, when God created Adam, He said in Genesis 2.18, it is not good that man should be alone. You know, if I was to be honest with you, I could get me a shack in the middle of the woods where nobody is around for miles and miles and miles. I think, man, that would be the dream way to live. Amen? But God didn't call me there. God called, called us to strengthen one another, to invest in one another. But when we've been hurt, sometimes we're afraid of putting ourselves out there, aren't we? May we trust in the Lord and say, Lord, your plan is always the best. The fourth thing. We see worry and indecision in making choices can be a symptom of fear, the spirit of fear. Have you ever had something, a decision that you had to make, but you were paralyzed by that decision? Is this the right course to take? What will happen if you make the wrong choice? And oftentimes it can be immobilizing as we contemplate what could happen if we make a mistake. I remember there's been times in our life where we had uh, decisions to make over ministry and decisions we had to make for our family. And oftentimes as we uh, came to those places, I remember thinking through one time in particular as I was candidating for a church in Texas and, and, and I had I'd gone to this little church in Kaufman and, and we had, uh, I'd preached there for them. And, and I was thinking through my mind, man, if, if we move to Texas, my kids are going to wind up marrying someone from this area. And no, no offense, because I'm from Texas, and I love Texas, but I got to thinking, are these the kids I want my, my kids to marry? You know, that's an important question. And the next question that came to my mind is, can I, can I handle living this close to my family again? You know, that's an important question as well, amen? You've been gone for, for at that point, I think, 10 or 12 years, and I thought, I don't know if I could do it. And, and, we, and all at times, it was almost paralyzing as we thought through all the consequences uh, of what th that decision was going to entail. And I thought, I, I don't know. And, and, you know, the Lord gave us a, a great wisdom and He led us to have peace about uh, being able to stay here and to trust the Lord here. And I'm so thankful the Lord led us uh, in that direction. But I remember in those days, in those months, as we prayed through that, that God, it just, I, I was afraid of making the wrong choice. And so I didn't make a choice. But let me remind you what God has offered to us. In Psalms 119, verse 105, He says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You know what? When I come to God's word, He gives me clear direction. You know, there are, there are basic things in the Bible that He wants me, uh, how He wants me to live. It, it's a no-brainer. You know, there, uh, should, I be, should I go to bars on Saturday night? It's a no-brainer. It, the Bible says no. Should, should I uh, have a relationship with anybody outside of marriage? The Bible says absolutely no. Should I, uh, you know, and the list can go on and on and on, and I, and I don't have time to go through every individual situation, but let me just say, God's Word is clear. It's a lamp. It's a, it opens the pathway for you. And I love this, James 1.5. If any of you lack wisdom, amen. Uh, this is me. This is my verse right here. If any of you lack wisdom, okay, Lord, this is my verse. 
He says, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. And I love that. And it shall be given. Isn't that good? You need wisdom? Seek the Lord. You need to know what direction? Don't fear, instead trust. Finally, I want to mention that we can often manifest the spirit of fear when we begin to compromise. We compromise in our relationships on a variety of things. I want, uh, for example, with my wife and I, uh, we'll be talking about lunch, and I'll tell her, listen, I want to go to Chinese food. And she says, well, I want Mexican. So we compromise and go to Mexican. Amen? <laughs> listen, as believers, we should never compromise on the truth of God's Word. We should never, I mean, we should never say, listen, uh, you know, uh, Jesus is okay, uh, and maybe there's some other ways too. No, 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 that's compromising, and that is a spirit of fear. Sometimes we ask questions like, will God really care if I deny Him around uh, certain people as long as I pray afterwards? Does God really mean that we shouldn't cheat? Does God, is He really serious about this idea of not stealing? Tax season is coming, be careful. Listen, I mean, is the Old Testament really important to us today? We begin to compromise. This is a dangerous path. Matter of fact, if we recall in the Old Testament, Satan tempted Adam and Eve with a little bit of compromise. He says in Genesis 3.1, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Yea, hath God said? One of, the, one of the questions that plagues us in 2023, Yea, hath God really said? Did God really say that? Is God really serious about this? You see, this was a call to compromise on the very words of God. And it caused the disastrous downfall of all of humanity. And when we compromise, we're essentially saying, even today, God, I don't trust you enough that you're going to take care of me, so I'm going to manipulate the situation. You see, we want to do things our way. So there's those five things that oftentimes reveal, are you living in a spirit of fear? But I want to finish up tonight, today with three things. Three things that Christ provided to His disciples and to us to overcome fear and anxiety. Are you ready? All right, good. Thank you. I'll give it to you. Peace. Peace in His presence. This is really good. And, and listen, and it's the same thing that God offered to Joshua. And just before Joshua went into, uh, the battle, uh, into battle in Canaan, this is what God said to him in that moment. Joshua 1.9, Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is what, church? With thee, whithersoever thou goest. Isn't that glorious? Now, here's the good news. That is not just an Old Testament passage or Old Testament truth. He says in Hebrews 13.5, he says, listen, and be content in all things, but he says this, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He said, I abide with you, Christian. Don't be afraid when the, all of the world seems like the chaos is running rampant. Let me just remind you, we never have to fear because our God, our God is with us. Lately, I've sensed that God's people are just suffering under a spirit of defeat. Not just here, but all over the world. As I talk to missionaries, I just sense that so many of God's people have taken a licking from Satan. And I just want to remind you that it was probably the same spirit that tried to dominate that room in the upper room. But listen, it is this spirit that tries to take our eyes off the Lord. So let us say, Lord, I'm going to look unto Jesus. Lord, I'm going to want to know Him more than anything else. I want to know that You're sufficient. God, because there is peace in Your presence. There is a wonderful song that said, Jesus Christ has made to me all I need, all I need. 
He alone is all my plea. He is all I need. To my Savior will I cleave. All I need, all I need. He will not, he will not His servants leave. He is all I need. He goes on and he writes in this song, He's the treasure of my soul. All I need, all I need. He hath cleansed and made me whole. He is all I need. Wisdom, righteousness, and power. Holiness forevermore. My redemption full and sure. He is all I need. You see, He is enough. He brings peace in the midst of the storm. Secondly, we see He gives us spirits of courage. In John chapter 20, in verse number 22, in this passage that we read earlier today, and he said, when He had said this, He breathed in them, and He said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Now leading up to this moment, Christ had begun to teach and introduce the reality of the Holy Spirit to the disciples. In the Old Testament teachings, God wanted to ensure that man would follow the one true God. There is one God, amen? Alright, and so he lays that out in the Old Testament. And so in Exodus chapter 20, verses 2 and 3, he said, I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Why? Because there is only one God. And we believe that. We, we preach that. And that's what the Old Testament established. But you see, the temptation and mankind has always faced is to worship many gods. But this is still uh, the problem that plagues uh, countries all around the world today. It was a problem in Egypt. It is a problem in India today. It is a problem in America. We have too many gods. You see, God was clear throughout the Old Testament that there is only one God. No, all the other gods were false. They were illegitimate. But even in this dogmatic teaching in the Old Testament, we find glimpses of the Trinity of God sprinkled throughout. Now, Time precludes me from being able to go through all of these together, and I'm just going to give you a few things. But Jesus would oftentimes appear in various passages in the Old Testament. We call these uh, theophanies. These opportunities where God revealed Himself to man. And specifically, Jesus came and oftentimes revealed Himself in a tremendous way there, uh, whether uh, in different situations. But we also see the Holy Spirit was at work at creation, and He gave credibility to the New Testament teaching that God is three in one. I'm going to look at one passage. I'm going to give you some other passages you can research later. But look at 1 John 5, 7 in your Bible. Because in the New Testament, God reveals more of Himself. And He demonstrates that He is God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So it's one God. It's He's a triune God revealed in three ways. 1 John 5, 7. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. Now, Christ taught, took time to teach about the truth of the coming of the Holy Spirit. And so we can go back to John 14, 16, and we see, and we see where He says, I will pray the Father, He shall give you another comforter. He's, in other words, He says, I'm about to depart, but there's going to be one that will abide with you, how long? Forever. He said, He's going to abide forever. John 14, 17 continues to, to illustrate these. Take these notes down. John 14, 26. John 15, 26. John 16, 13. John 16, 14. All of these are passages that help us to see where Christ was teaching this idea of the New Testament. And now, as Jesus, the resurrected Christ, looks out and He breathes on them, what He's saying, He is reminding them that there is a promised one that is coming, the Holy Spirit of God, that will permanently reside in the hearts of man. And the Bible records that day. Look in Acts chapter 2 in your Bible with me. Acts chapter 2. And if you go there, you're going to find that on that day of Pentecost, which is about 10 days after Christ ascended, 
On that day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came into the lives of every believer. In verse number 1, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues and uh, as the Spirit gave them utterance. You see, after the disciples at this moment were filled with God's Spirit, They came out of the hidden rooms, they came out from behind locked doors, and they began to speak boldly the name of Christ. They began to proclaim to the crowds uh, on that day of Pentecost, and the Bible records that over 3,000 were saved on this day alone. Later, just a few uh, weeks later, another day, there would be 5,000 that were saved. Why? Because they were filled with that spirit of courage called the Holy Spirit of God. You see, that same spirit that indwelt them indwells the believer today. And sometimes we're afraid or fearful, but it's not because God is insufficient, it's because we forgot to look at Him. You see, the Spirit, with the Spirit's coming, Christ gives this command, so send I you. I can't do it on my own. I, I loved it. I, I visited with Sister Melissa the other day, and she was sharing with me about a friend of hers. She said, and, and, I, loved, and I hope I can share this, I hope it's okay. She said, yeah, I didn't, you didn't ask, but what am I going to do? And as, as we're visiting, she said, I want you to pray for a friend of mine. And I, I coveted to pray with her for her, and I have been. And she said, you know, through this cancer, I've seen that, that person ask to learn how to pray. She said, isn't God good? You know, sometimes we look at and we say, man, God, this, this world has fallen apart. But I'm reminded that when God's Spirit resides in you, that He gives you courage in the most devastating of circumstances. Courage to testify, courage to send the truth. 1 John 4.14 says, And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. You see, when His Spirit enters our life, He gives us purpose, and He says in Acts 1.8, And ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses. You see, that's the, the, the response of every believer. When I see brand new believers come to Christ, you know what the first thing is? Well, I want to tell Dot, dot, dot. Maybe it's mom or dad. Maybe it's their friend. Maybe it's someone. And, and I tell you, they just want people to know that, listen, God has done a great work. Listen, you may be afraid today. You may be fearful. But I encourage you, get your eyes off of your problems and get your eyes back on the Lord. You see, the Holy Spirit that, in, uh, that indwells you is the same one that walked with Peter and Paul and the other disciples and apostles and with godly men and women in the past that have done tremendous things and turned the world upside down and He can do the same in your life. Finally, we see He offers grace. Grace for forgiveness. Now, Jesus spoke to the disciples. He offered them His presence through the Spirit, but it almost seems as if He gives... Look at, look at the Scripture. Look at the Scripture. Let me, let me just show you. He says in verse number 23, Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. And so it almost seems as if Christ is saying, listen, you get to decide who's forgiven and who's not forgiven. But I believe the scribes had it right when they said to Jesus, when, he healed the, uh, when, when uh, Christ was talking to the palsy man, and he, he says in Mark chapter 2 and verse number 5, When Jesus saw their face, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. And then it goes on, the scribes and sitting there, and they reasoned in their hearts. Verse 7 uh, says, Why did this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? That's true, amen? Only God can forgive sins. 
But Christ was not just another man. He is God. And so he had authority to forgive sins, especially in that situation. I was reminded of a story of a former Roman Catholic woman who had years ago put her faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And she put off going to confession. She no longer did penance. She never uh, went to Mass. Instead, she studied her Bible. She gathered with other believers of the like faith and practice. And she, uh, and she lived her life for Jesus Christ, not for the Catholic Church. And so when she was on her deathbed, some well-meaning relatives called in the local priest. And that parish priest, he came around to see her, and he offered her confession to grant her resolution, or absolution, excuse me. And the woman said unto the priest, Show me your hands. And the priest extended his hands, and the woman explained to them, and the woman examined them, and she turned to the priest and said, Sir, you are an imposter. The one who forgives sins has nail prints in his hands. You see, the Lord had just shown His disciples the nail prints in His hands, and now He talks to them about forgiving and not forgiving. You see, the prerogative is His and His alone to forgive sins. But as the body of Christ, He is the head, and we are the hands and feet. And it is through us, the members of the body, that Christ reaches the world today. And the Bible says in Matthew 5.16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. It is the Holy Spirit that does the work. It is the function of the church to tell, to proclaim, claim and to be the instrument through which the Holy Spirit deals with people about sin and righteousness and judgment. It is through us, the members of this body, that He brings people to Christ. Let me ask you, who have you witnessed to lately? Who is on their way to hell because you are silent? Who is on their way to heaven because you opened your mouth? Let me just remind you that today there is power in the words that you proclaim when you tell people about Jesus Christ because I am reminded in Romans 1.16 it is the power of God unto salvation to anyone that believeth and I just want to encourage you, church, don't be afraid. Don't be fearful. Don't give in to that spirit of fear, but trust the Lord. Open your mouth and let others know that there is a God in heaven who loves them and died for them and gave His utmost for them. You see, our greatest blessing is forgiveness. It was this forgiveness that Christ purchased when He died on the cross. It was this, and it was to this end that He endured the cross and He despised the shame. The Bible says in Colossians 1.14, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. And that is why our message today is so vital. Because through Christ, through Christ is forgiveness found. Acts chapter 13 and verse 38 says, Be it known unto you therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. Sometimes though we're afraid, we're fearful, we're hiding in the back rooms behind locked doors in our life, yet the message that we have is still powerful. It's still poignant. It is still needed. It is still the primary need for all of mankind, more than clean water and good food. Man still needs the forgiveness of sins, and we have that forgiveness offered. Will you share it? You see, you may not be here with an aching heart. Your heart may be full of worry and anxiety and fear. And maybe you stopped coming to church because you were overcome by that spirit of fear. But I urge you today to cast off that yoke of fear. I urge you to, to put those things aside that have weighed you down, to breathe in the glorious liberty of Jesus Christ and know that His abiding presence gives us the ability to trust in the Lord with all of our hearts. You see, it is His Spirit. It is a spirit of courage. And, and as we witness, we have the privilege of saving those from the fire. The Bible says in Jude, verse 22 and 23, and some have compassion, making a difference. And others, save with peer, fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. 
But maybe you're here today struggling and you've got that weight of sin in your life. I remind you that the same burden that, or that same liberty that Christ offered for Mary, the same liberty and peace that He gave to the disciples is made available to you today. The Bible says in Romans 3.22, Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all that believe, for there is no difference. You see, Christ's sacrifice on the cross was to take the punishment of your sins upon Himself so that you might stand before God, not as a sinner, but as righteous. I don't have to be afraid. And He says this in Hebrews 4.15, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. I'm not afraid. I stand in awe. Listen, you can't, you can't earn your way to heaven. You can't atone for your own sins. Jesus says in Romans 3.28, Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. I tell you a plain and simple truth. Christ died so that you might live. This is the gift. The gift that God gives to every man. But like any gift, you must receive it. And Romans 10, 9 and 10 tells us that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You see, when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life, you believe His sacrifice and atonement was enough and then you call upon Him in confession and repentance, the Bible says you will be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I invite you this morning, if you're under that weighted load of sin, to come know what it is to have the peace with God by putting your faith in Christ. Thank you so much for joining us today. It is such a privilege to share God's Word with you. If God has spoken to your heart because of the message, stop right now and respond to whatever it is God is asking of you. Don't wait another minute. You can pray right where you're at and ask God for His help. If this message has helped you in any way, we would love to hear from you. Let us know if you have any questions or we can help you with your decision. Jesus asked His disciples, Who do ye say that I am? And He offers the same question to you today. What would your answer be?